Good evening, everybody. To God be the glory. Have anybody since Shelley said something the other day that, that caught my attention that's very biblical. And I don't know how our conversation got in that direction, but it was about the first trumpet sounding. And it made a whole lot of sense. But at the same time, we don't know. All the teachings so far I read, not all of it, Revelation tells me that we're going to be here, but then other teachings from other saints of God say we're not going to be here when the tribulation hits. I just want to uh, say this. I don't want to confuse anybody. All I want to tell you is what Lord Jesus said and what it was known as the Olive Discourse. Anybody can tell me where that is in the Bible. She's pretty sharp, but she ain't sharp enough. We're, we're, we're getting her. We're sharp. Shelly's coming along too. And Shelly's little boy Tucker just blowed us away today in Bible study. But uh, that young man loved the Bible, and I'm so glad for him. Matthew is sharp, but Matthew wasn't known as P's and Q's with it today. Um, the Olive Discourse is Matthew chapter 24, chapter 25, and chapter 26. Uh, no, particularly chapter 24, chapter 25. I remember the, the, the apostles, the, the disciples are coming out of the temple, and they're excited about this grandier uh, uh, building complex. And it, from my understanding, from the research that I've done, the temple during this day, and this really were, were actually everybody in a sense, the third temple, but not really the third temple. It was a temple complex and everything. When Solomon built the first temple, and then it was torn down by the Babylonians and pilferaged, and they came back out of the Babylonian captivity 70 years later, and under Zerubbabel, them, it was rebuilt. But then they would have called it the second temple. However, Herod the Great decided that he wanted to make it the most amazing building on earth. So he added to it. He remodeled it and, and added to it. And so it must have been a sight, everybody, because it was the talk of the world. It was the talk of the world. Anyway, can you imagine Shelly sitting down? And 12 of your children come to you. She said, 12 children, come on, Pastor. Are you trying to give me five more? Yeah, I got that. <laughs> uh, and they come bragging about how wonderful this building is. And you tell them something that really just totally opposite of what they're saying. And he says to them, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another. Now you, the children, listening to that God, like, <laughs> what's that all about? But they will soon find out. And Jesus goes from there, and he gives them a lot of credible insight into the future. 
of the world. Not just the temple, not just Jerusalem, but the world. The very existence of mankind. And, and known as the Olive Discourse. And uh, one of the things that he told them, and Chrissy, you're there, aren't you? Look at verse 14, 13 or 14. What does it say to us? Verse 13, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That means you got to hang in there on some, oh, some bad stuff is going to happen and you got to do what? Hang in there. And then what did he say? And this gospel of oh, the kingdom. there it is. Say it again. And this gospel. This gospel of what? Of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. Will be preached in the whole world. <clears throat> will be preached to all the world. As then a, what? As a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Uh-oh. Now, I just want to let y'all know that the end time is near. Why is it near? Because the gospel has reached just about every nation now. Here's where it becomes tricky. I don't know why I'm going in this direction, everybody. Maybe it's something that we need to know. Here's what's tricky. The word for nation can also mean tribe, can mean ethnic group, not political geo nations. And I don't think he's talking about political geo nations. I'm talk I think he's talking about people groups. That's what they say at the uh, the Wycliffe. Mm -hmm. it's, it's tribes. I think it's people groups, and you know everybody. I don't know if you know, but there's almost a people group that we have not explored yet. There's hardly any left that we haven't found yet. <laughs> it's very scarce now if there are people groups out there that we haven't found. I know in South America they're still scratching their heads like, have we reached them all yet? Have we, have we gotten them all yet? But think of all the tribes in Africa. Whoa! The deep jungles of the Sahara Think about how deep you got to go to reach people. Not so long ago, there's a place called Papua New Guinea. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. yep. And they made a movie on that about how they found this tribe of people nobody even knew exist. And it was unreported. And what they had to do, Shelly, the missionaries had to go and live among them. Am I right? And it was said in, did you see the documentary? They showed it to us. That's one of the first documentaries they showed us in seminary when I was in graduate school at CIU. Because CIU is a missionary school. And um, they showed that the missionaries had to go in and live two years with this tribe of people just to learn their language. Because it had no written language at all. So they couldn't even teach them the Bible because there was no word in which they could show them in a comparison. Then they had to create or design a written language for them. Like 15 years to get in the New Testament? Right? It was a long time. And, and then once they start the, uh, developing a, a written language, then the elders of the tribes caught on and said, oh, that's, then told them what that is. And they would write it down and say, okay, in the Bible, that means this. And once they started, I forgot what book they were able to write first, which, which gospel they did first. 
I know, but I forgot which one. Oh, okay. And uh, then they sojourned over the mountain, and they said, there's another tribe. And they're going, what? And this is the small island of Papua New Guinea, which is in the same region as New Zealand, off the coast of Australia. Pretty powerful stuff. And what the Lord Jesus said, I don't want to go through it all. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. Well, and I just want to tell you, it's just interesting that you mentioned that. There was a sweet young girl that used to be a babysitter for Emily and Blake and Sam. And uh, she went to <coughs> Moody and learned Bible translation. And Papua New Guinea is where she went. Wow. For, for Bible translation. You know that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. All the way. <laughs> And I'm not so sure what the language is in Papua New Guinea. They have, at the Wycliffe um, Translation Museum, they have the language and the decoder of the, how to decode what the... the they were saying? Languages, yeah. Mm-hmm. We learned that. That's awesome. I want, I want, I want to go there someday. Yeah, I, 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 we can make it as a miniature field trip, everybody. I did, I did see... In the scriptorium at the Holy Land Experience in Orlando, I, I did see a lot of different Bible translations in there. Some were original copies, and some was old hard Greek, and I couldn't even interpret. I'm look on. I need I need my study tools. Anyway, um, why did I say this? But all, all this goes around what I was saying about Shelley, what Shelley had said. Uh, everybody, if you're not listening, if you're not watching as the Lord Jesus Christ told us through the Apostle Paul, he said, redeem the time. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, I think the, the, the Latin or the Greek phrase is carpe diem. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that means that, good evening, brother. I was expecting you. Glad to have you called me this morning. We'll talk afterwards. Anywhere you will. We're live. We're doing a podcast that goes around the world. Um, We're just kind of like getting nuggets here and there. But we're in Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Give us your name again. Raymond Malachi. This is Brother Malachi who called me today, um, and we welcome him on board. Here we do what we call expository Bible study. That means we go line for line, and we don't give our two cents what the interpretation is. We give God's interpretation. That's what makes it expository. Um, If you haven't been paying attention to what's going on in the world right now, Especially on the scientific side, God is speaking to us not through the um, voice of man only. God is speaking to us through the voice of nature. And we have to be paying attention. Why are there massive storms lining up like they are? And why? is the smallest hurricane doing extremely large damages. Why is that happening? Why is an earthquake that is not that big leveling an entire city? 
Why is a certain region flooding that shouldn't have been flooding like that? Why is there diseases that's coming aboard on the earth that we've never heard of before? Why are these things happening? And that we don't have an inoculation for things that used to we thought was common and under man's control. Why are these things happening? I, I, I admit to you that these things are happening as warnings from God telling man to get ready. Get closer to your creator by getting closer to his son, Jesus, the only savior of the world. And uh, I'm going to give you all a sidebar note real quick that something that just flashed in my mind. I wanted to tell you that typically when you read the word save in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word there, and it blew my mind when, when I learned it not long ago, when it talked about and so-and-so was saved or whatever the situation, God saved them out of that. The Hebrew word is Yeshua. Wow. His name. And I'm going, whoa. And it blew me away. And, and, and it totally fits what God sent Lord Jesus here to do for the human race. Yeshua. He came to Yeshua us. Yeshua came to Yeshua us. <laughs> Isn't that something? And just like I had a talk with your son today, Samuel, I said, I told him, I said, Samuel, today I learned something new about our name. And I said, I even know more so that when Hannah uh, named Samuel, and it means to ask of God, today as I was studying, the smallest definition of that means this, pray. Samuel means Pray. Ask of God means to do what? Pray. 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 And when the little Samuel looked at me, I said, yes, you and I, we, God gave us our name so that we could be prayer warriors. We, we're supposed to be praying all the time. So that's a revelation. And I wrote on the, uh, on the bottom of the note that where I discovered it, saying, live up to your name potential. Wow. That was for me. Hello, Aunt Glow. God bless you. Good to see you. We're actually live right now. And, uh, but really, in all essence, everybody, from the young to the old, we all need to be following the signs and see God is talking to us, not necessarily from the pulpits only and in Bible studies. God is talking to us by calamities that are going on in the earth. Because Jesus says signs and wonders will follow. And here's what you have to be careful about when you're interpreting the terms signs and wonders. Signs also can mean catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Okay? That means catastrophes going to hit. And they're designed as wake-up call. The entire purpose of God bringing judgment on any nation was for that nation to turn back to him. That's what it's all about. Okay? Now, why do you think the Apostle Paul, and this is the leader, and then we'll go in prayer. Why do you think the Apostle Paul now is hammering this church, and not just church, because Galatian was a region. Galatia was a region of churches after you had left the most western part of Turkey, which was called Asia, Asia Minor, and that's where Ephesus 
was. That's where Thyatira, all the seven churches that are listed in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and chapter 3, there, those are part in the most western part of the country, Turkey, today. The next region further east would be Galatia. These are the group of churches in which Paul is addressing this letter to. Okay? And for some reason, after they had gone in and preached the gospel to this, this, this group of nations within this region, someone from Jerusalem decided that they knew more than Apostle Paul about salvation. And they came behind him and they began to preach a gospel that wasn't the gospel. And the result of that is that now you have a confused people. People are confused about, well, do we get circumcised to be saved? Or do we believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's what Paul, Paul later, if we read in the accounts in Acts chapter 20, and we understand that, Paul is saying that even he was going to Jerusalem and when he got to Jerusalem, what did Paul do? Paul observed the Jewish law as well as our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we really have to take to heart in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19, Paul tells you that I become all things to all people so that I may reach some for what? For Christ, he says, so that I can, and he literally used the phrase, so that I can save some. So if he was Jewish, he was going to be what? A Jew. He wasn't telling them to do away with it. He just wanted them to know that even though we're observing the law, that's not going to save us. Because remember, we're going into Acts chapter 21 next, this upcoming Sunday, and it's going to be a strong indictment against Paul. That's what's going to cause the crowd to go crazy and want to kill him. Because the, the claim is that he's teaching nations, he's teaching Jews not to follow the law of Moses. And you know how Jews are about the law of Moses. And so, but someone had crept in now and saying, that you got to be, in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised. That's not true. Circumcision then would void out the cross. And that is absolutely contrary to why God sent Jesus. Why did God send Jesus? The answer is simple. In Romans chapter 8, it says, turn there, Chrissy. In Romans chapter 8, it will tell you and I this. Matthew, can you bring it up on the board? Uh, put it in the middle column. Romans chapter 8. Let's just look up here. And then we'll have... Malachi, will you open us in prayer in a moment? When we Let me just go over this real quick. All right. Here's what's so important, that when you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, here's what the Apostle Paul said. In chapter 7, he had just talked about the struggles of the Christian walk how the mind fights against the spirit and how we don't know sin until the law tells us what's wrong, what is right, okay? And that's just not the first time. If you read in Malachi, not Malachi, in the book of Micah, Michael describes there, he said, oh man, what does your God require of you? 
And he says to do justice. In other words, to walk, to live right. And he says, huh? To seek mercy. In other words, to be compassionate, right? And then what's the last part of that he said to do? Oh, she know it. You go, girl. To walk humbly with your God. Well, in order to do justice, you have to know what justice comes from. Justice is just another form of saying, know the law and abide by it. Okay? Lord Jesus says it another way. He who has my commandments and keep them, and this is in uh, John chapter 14, verse 21. He said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Okay? Another way of saying, you have my laws, you have my statutes, my precepts, my ordinances, all these are fancy words for the law. He said, then keep them, obey them. But he knew man could not do that. So, in his very first sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to, say it out loud. Yeah. Keep it, do what? Yeah. Fulfill it, make it complete. How, he said, in me. Okay? And then Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You know what he wrote there? And, and, and all this ties together what, what we're about to hit here because it all goes back to Galatians also. He said, God made him who knew no sin to become the right, to do what? To become sin on our behalf so that the righteousness of God will be fulfilled in us by who? By Christ. That's why no other religions can save you because it's outside the righteousness of Christ. And if it's outside the righteousness of Christ, it's out of worship. It is not the means in which Jesus had prepared. It's not the means which the Father had prepared. And Jesus told those disciples the night in which he was betrayed, I am the way, the truth, and the... No one comes to the Father. And, and, and he meant that. And the kids, they had a Bible study on that today in John chapter 10 about Jesus said, the sheepfold, he talked about the sheepfold, he talked about the door and about the gate, and he said, I am the door or the gate, depending on which translation we're going to look at. Okay? What does that mean? There's no other way to God. The sheepfold in this way is a medical, metaphor for what? The kingdom of God. God. Amen. So Paul said, there's some struggles in our walk. However, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Boom. There is therefore now. That is in the present tense. And, and I really like reading it over in the Greek because it's so much better. But it tells you and I in that no condemnation. No condemnation. What does that mean? The Greek word that's given at Katakrima tells you this. It tells you and I that God has found you guilty. God has now tried you. Okay. And because you are guilty, he has now sentenced you. And what is that sentence, everybody? Death. Death. He told us in a previous letter to the Roman church in chapter 6, verse 23. What is it? For the, the wages of sin is, is what? Death. In other words, the penalty, the payment for you sinning against God who is holy is death. Well, you say, well, why God is so severe? What's the opposite of being severe with death? What is the opposite of that? He tells you in the rest of that. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. 
completely opposites. One is death by sin, and the other one by believing in Jesus Christ is life. And so when we violate that, the results is the first part. The other part, and you notice this is on a linear scale, that God will not change it. Did you get that? It's fixed forever. As the psalmist wrote, he said, Oh Lord, your word is forever settled in heaven. I mean, it can't be changed. Y'all remember studying the laws of the immersion in the Medes? And they told the king in the days of Esther, they say, oh, king, once it become law, not even you can change it. But God is greater than the merchant in the, in, the, in, in the Medes. Okay? He can change what he wants. So there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the, not your spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Why is that different? Because he said to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born. And if you properly translate that Greek word for being born there, usually English translations don't bring it out. Some do. It says you must be born again at glow from above. That means from the throne room of God. That's the difference. And when God gives you a new spirit, your old mind still got old ways, but your spirit is brand new. Thank you, little one. And so, and this is the tie, and this is what makes Galatians really sticks out. Verse 2 here that Paul wrote in this letter in Romans chapter 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and what? Death. In other words, there are two opposing forces here. One is from God for life, and the other one is from the dark side, which means death. If you walk on the dark side and sin against God, one's going to bring death. The other spirit is going to bring life. Where do we see the dark side at? There was a little fancy place in the Bible called paradise. Where is that? Eden. You got it. And who came in with the spirit of death? The snake did. Y'all catch that? But when Jesus Christ came, even as an infant, he had the spirit of life in him. Even as an infant. Because let me, let me bring something to your attention. When John the Baptist's mom, who was pregnant with him, Elizabeth. When Mary, who was also pregnant with Jesus, came for a visit, what happened? Because <laughs> when the Holy Ghost got in the close vicinity of that baby, that baby realized that God had just showed up. <laughs> Amen? And immediately John the Baptist, from his, while in his mother's womb, was filled with the Holy Ghost. <coughs> The first human to be born with the Holy Spirit. Are y'all aware of that? Are you aware of that? The baby leaped with joy. And Elizabeth was also filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? Because when the Spirit came, he's a life-giving Spirit. So he gave the baby. Up to this point, the baby was just flesh and blood, right? 
But now God put the spirit of life in this baby. Not just human life, but God's life, God's spirit. Okay? Now, so, and then verse 3 brings a conclusion. And that's why Paul is so adamant about getting the Galatian church straight. Okay? Verse 3. For what the law could not do. Let's stop there. For what the law could not do. What was it that the, he was talking about that the law couldn't do? Anybody? Save you. All the law pointed out you as is what? How <laughs> much you need to be saved. But you know how many Christians walk around and don't know that? Oh, the Ten Commandments, that's good. You, you, man, you, you live by the Ten Commandments, you're going to heaven. Excuse me? <laughs> you better go back and look again. Okay? You better understand what you're reading. So what the law could not do in that it was weak through the... Meaning that it could not make any human change the conscience. Could not make any human change the conscience. However, in Hebrews chapter 9... The writer there tells us that the blood of Jesus does. Why? Because it changed man's conscience. It got in there and said, uh-oh, you are a sinner. Now you've got to change your ways. That means the conscience has to be altered, okay, by the Spirit of God. All right, let's stop there for a moment. I'm going too deep. I really don't want to go any further without prayer. Got to have the covering. I'm sorry, everybody. Lord, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Malachi. Yes, Lord. By faith, we believe that we welcome you and welcome your spirit, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you that you humble our hearts. We humble ourselves, Lord God, to receive your word, Father. We thank you that you anoint the lips of clay of this pastor, Father. We thank you that you speak your words through him, Father, to us. We thank you, Lord God, that our eyes of our hearts be open. Our spiritual ears are open, Father God, that we may receive your word and be cleansed by your word, Father. Lord. Yes, thank Lord. You, Lord and even our minds are being renewed by hearing your truth, Father. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that we come in an exponential knowledge of your truth, Father, in our lives, to know you intimately and personally. Yes, in Jesus' name. Okay, thank you. Be ready in and out of season. No. So for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his what? God did by, look at verse 3, by sending his own son. That's powerful. And the likeness of sinful flesh. Meaning he came not as God, as spirit, as we see in the day of creation. But as a human with the spirit of God in it. That's how he came. So that means his flesh was from the earth. But he himself, the real one. Can anybody tell us how he was transported here? 
Who brought Jesus here? Holy Spirit. You own it. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus and placed him in the womb of Mary. That's why the angel said that he is the son of the Holy Ghost. Okay? And the Holy Ghost we know is God, him, <laughs> Spirit of God. The same Spirit that spoke everything into existence. And as Jesus being one with the Spirit of God was also the one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's the author and designer of creation. So Paul is given a very detailed insight into what happens to humans when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why this young man quoted it in his prayer. He didn't realize how powerful what he said. And you quoted John chapter 17, verse 3 in your prayer just now. And Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have set. You just said it a different way. Okay? Having an intimate relationship, having intimate knowledge with God the Father and God the Son is eternal life. And that's what John claims too. Well, in 1 John chapter 4, and he talked about, in our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus. And he said, we invite you into this fellowship. What, what are you inviting into? He said, in the beginning, eternal life that was with the Father. And that word eternal is capitalized. And so he's saying that Jesus Christ is the eternal life. Okay? Jesus Christ doesn't give eternal life. Jesus Christ is eternal life. There's a distinct difference. And Paul would write in his letter to the Colossian church, he said, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Woo-hoo! And that's huge. And that's why he said in John chapter 10, he said, no man is able to snatch us out of his father's hand. In fact, he even said earlier, he said, no one is able to snatch you out of my hand. And then he said, no one is able to snatch you out of my father's hand for my father is greater than I. Oh, you really want to go up against God? Or better yet, you really want to go against the Son? God don't even trouble himself with it. Now, look in here. So God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. That, the word account there, what's another word for account there? How can we put that, Chrissy? How can we word that? You're very good in writing the English language. So it's Melissa. All of y'all. Y'all are, are sharp folks. What's another word for account there? Okay. No, let's not look at it from a monetary value. Okay. It's looking for... I want to pull it. I don't want to give you the answer. First credit? No, I, don't look at it in a financial mean. Account there. He said, the same one, verse 3. He said, on the on account of sin. What is he talking about on account? That is that is called what kind of statement? What kind of clause is that? Purpose. It's a purpose clause. This is the purpose why God sent his son Jesus. As Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy, he said, this is a known fact 
that God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. Paul wrote that in his letter to Timothy. He says, this is a known fact. God sent his son Jesus into the world to save sinners. No other human can do that. Okay? That's why Paul is so upset about what's going on in Galatia right now. He's very upset about it. So we have, sometimes we have to use other letters that Paul has wrote to get a better understanding of what is he saying. So he did what? He. Who is he here? Who, who is this pronoun referring to? He. He condemned sin in the what? Flesh. Although he came as a human. And as a human who is righteous before God, saying, that's it. This can not be tolerated at all. Sin will not enter into the kingdom of God. You must have zero sin residue in you in order to enter the gates of God. Period. Sin is absolutely the core of evil. It is the actions of the heart. Which is why he hides us in Christ. That's why he hides us in Christ, because that new man cannot be contaminated by sin. So once God rebirthed you and you're in Christ, you're not going to be touched by sin again. Not if you're going to heaven. Amen? Now, there's a difference, and John will talk about that later, about acts of the flesh, that's sin. But he said, it's not sin on the death, though. John does talk about that in his letter. Okay? We can discuss that at a different time. But isn't there a sin onto that? Yes, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But that's on a true Christian. If you're a true Christian led by the Spirit, you will not blaspheme against the Holy Ghost. Okay? Now, so he condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law, there it is. That the righteous requirement of the law. Let's just go down some of the things about the law, okay? Let's, let's not look at Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments is laid out there. And actually, it's more than 10 if you count them. But let's just go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, for the Lord is. One. What does that mean? That go hand in hand with Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, where it says, I am the Lord, your God, and you're to have no other God before me. It's just a different way of saying it. The same God is out of the mouth of the same God telling Israel. And when he's telling Israel, he was telling the rest of the nations of the world, you're not to have any God before me. I'm the Lord. Yahweh is the only God. And then he tells about the relationship part, which you pray to in your prayer. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what he said there. Jesus didn't tell us the other part until he was here. And when a man came and asked him what were the two great commandments, he said, Hear, Israel, for the Lord is... And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Jesus added the fourth dimension. Why? 
Because we don't think we need to love God with our emotions and intellect. That flows out of the mind. In other words, Jesus just said, I want you to love God with everything you are. Period. You don't hold back on God with nothing. Proper English, you don't hold back on God with anything. Right? So, what do you do here? What do you do here? Understanding the law now. Jesus Christ condemned sin. Law pointed out that you're sinners. So the first thing is that how many folks out there got other gods in their lives? Not just the ones that are very obvious and named out by false religions, right? But what's ha- what just opened up this past weekend, this past week? What kind of season? Football. Another God in the repertoire of man. Because you're going to have folks missing church now to watch football games. And God said you're to have no other God before me. It's sad. Because this one thing Israel would have never, ever compromised. But when a time to be assembled as one before God, they didn't compromise. Are y'all hearing me? And God was pretty serious about this thing in the wilderness with them. When he was explaining to them, here, Israel, for the Lord is one that means no compromise. He didn't just say it once. He said it early in their time in the wilderness. That's what Exodus chapter 20 is. They're early. They just come out of Egypt. They're brand new as a people, living as one under the control of God. Always been under control, but they just didn't know it. And the other thing was later towards the end of Moses' life. It's, reinst- it's, it's reinstated in Deuteronomy chapter 6 there. That's why uh, Deuteronomy properly translated means second law. It's just a reminder of what God has already given them. So God is serious about this thing. You okay? Therefore, you really want to gamble with Jesus over the law? Because yes, you can keep a set of rules here, but where's your heart? And I tell you, in North America, not only the violation of loving God only is paramount in our nation, but what about the second greatest commandment? Loving your neighbor as... Love yourself. And how often do we not do that? Because we we want to say, oh, the neighbor on my left, no, I just don't like him. I'm sorry. Okay. What's really sad is you got white churches saying the same thing about black saints and got black churches saying the same thing about white saints. Now, I don't know what kind of heaven they think they're going to because neither one of them going to make it with that kind of attitude. Hello. I'm speaking truth here now. If you got hatred in your heart towards another human being, you're not going to, to, to Jesus' heaven. You've just made a false God up in your mind in a false heaven. Well, you hear me? Because Deuteronomy 8 is very powerful. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Jesus restated that to the devil, didn't he? Hmm. Interesting stuff, huh? Words of life from the Lord, the giver of life. So, Jesus condemned sin that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Uh-oh. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Go to Galatians 3, baby. Put that one up there. So, what was wrong with the church of old, Aunt Glow? The, 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 the nation of Israel before Jesus came. They were not walking with the spirit of God. They were walking with customs and traditions. Not with the spirit of God. There's a man in the Bible that had the spirit of God in him and because he took his eyes off God committed adultery and murder. And he had the Holy Ghost in him. Anybody know who that man is? Yes. Because the moment that Samuel anointed him as king of Israel, when he poured the flag of oil over him, the horn of oil, the Holy Spirit entered David. Yes, sir. I There's a play of words. The Holy Spirit was in these men. You want to know a classic example of it? When Elisha died, the prophet Elisha, when he died and was laid in the tomb, one of the soldiers, Israeli soldier, was killed in battle. And so his buddies throwed him in Elijah's tomb. You know what happened to that man? He came alive. That's right. Because the bones still had the anointing of the Holy Ghost on him. And the man was revived. Okay? Why did David pray in Psalms 51? Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he's seen the absence of the Spirit in King Saul, what the results would be. And he did not want that happening to him. He did not want it happening. And so, we have to be very careful when we study the scriptures. There are multiple testimonies in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord was in a person. Elijah, a great man of God, powerful man of God. The Spirit of the Lord was in him. In fact, Jesus was called, it said, the Spirit of Elijah, Jesus. Spirit of Elijah. Powerful stuff. They said, they're looking for it. They said, when Elijah returned, he said, I say to you, Elijah has already come. We can go on and on. Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now that's pretty harsh. If a pastor stood up in the congregation today and called the entire church foolish. They're running out of town. Mm -hmm. You foolish.
just, whatever the church is, call him by name. And they already have his bags packed before he can sit down. And the deacons were having the door open. You're getting out of here. <laughs> it may not be true. It's just me exaggerating a little bit. But folks don't want to hear that kind of language today. They don't want to hear that kind of truth. They don't want to hear that kind of rebuke. But that's exactly what it takes to keep the church in line. Okay? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And I looked that up in the Greek to make sure I was understanding it. And it was. Who has poured sorcery on you or magic on you? In other words, put a spell on you to cause you to think differently, to believe differently than what we have already taught you. Look at it. That you should what? Not obey the truth. And people, this is where the rubber meets the road. If folks are in a church where the truth is not being preached and teached, get out. Because it's the truth that Jesus said in John chapter 8. He said the truth is going to do what with your unglobe? Old folks said a lot. Going to do what? Set you free. If you're not living under the truth, you must be living under a... Why? You must be living on a deception. Okay? And if you're following that kind of leading, Jesus said that the devil is your father. He said, well, preacher, that's not what he's saying. Well, you go back and read John chapter 8 in its entirety, and you will find out that those Jews that was grappling with him, he made a very point. He said, you're of your father, the devil. Well, why? He said, because he's a what? A and a what? And the father of a lot. You can't be a father unless you have what? Children. Children. And he told him, the devil is your father. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not believing the truth, then you must be believing a lie. But if you're believing the truth, that means God is your father by way of Jesus Christ. But if you're not following the truth, then the other daddy must be your daddy. Uh-oh. We don't get too many responses on that one, do we? Because you won't. And people look at you and say, you're crazy. Then you must be under the spirit of the devil. And let me tell you something. John wrote, he said, the whole world was under the sway of the devil. He said, the entire world. But when Jesus came, he changed that. And that's why it's so important to understand when Paul says, and that God took and conveyed us from the kingdom of darkness, talking about Satan's domain, he took us and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light in whom he loves. You read that over in Colossians chapter 1, he said, it tells you that in verse 13 that God deliberately took us out of that kingdom by his son Jesus and put us over into the kingdom of Christ, which is everlasting, the kingdom of light. Okay? Must be good to it. And so, so you old foolish Galatians, 
who be with you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. You were told about the cross in the crucifixion of Christ. You were clearly told it with no deceptions. And it was made very plain to you that God's son Jesus was crucified for your sins. You were told that. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Other words, by obeying the Ten Commandments, did the Holy Ghost come in you? No. He said, he's really, really laying it down on him, on them. Or by the hearing of faith. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Paul said, by obeying the commandments of God, of playing, of putting your faith in the Son of God. How did that happen? You received the Holy Spirit by putting faith in the Son of God. That's how you received it. Okay? Are you so foolish? There it is again. He's calling them foolish again. Chrissy, you see that? Are you so foolish? Haven't begun in the spirit, other words, you're on the right track. Begin in the spirit, and a lot of people do. They begin in the spirit, on the right track, right? And then what happens? What happens? Haven't begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Oh, all of a sudden now, by you keeping a set of laws, it's going to make you perfect. Or is it by the Spirit of God you're being made perfect? In that same letter, in Romans chapter 8 that we was in just a little bit ago, in verse 29, Paul writes a very powerful letter to the church in Rome, and this statement is said, whom God foreknew. What does your Bible say? What does the NFV say about it? What version do you have, Brother Malachi? Uh, King James? King James. Okay, and that's powerful. Turn to King James 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And we'll see some variations there. And so, what is it saying to us? 829? Yes. Whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate. Uh-huh. Conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, that's it. And what does yours say, Chrissy? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay. The word image there is icon, believe it or not. It's a Greek word, icon. We translate it as image or likeness. Who God foreknew. I mean, God had prior knowledge about us. God turned around and he predestined. In other words, he had a plan for you. And that plan is to be conformed. And this word conformed come from the same family as the word metamorphosis. To, to, to change. To transform, some translation says. That God has chosen that he would take sinners and transform us into the likeness of his what? Son Jesus. So that Jesus will be the firstborn 
among many brethren. Well, what does that mean then? That was Jesus created? No. He was born as a human baby. But he's always been God in the spirit. Is that making sense to you? And as such, when he saves you, he has a preeminence, as it said in Colossians. Preeminence means prior honor. God had prior honored Jesus before any creation. And so that puts Jesus as the head of the human race in honor. Huh? I love that And then, not only as head, but he accepts you as brother and sister. Okay? And that's powerful. That God would take the people that sinned against him, that ignored his commands, and turn around and make them sons and daughters of his. And it's because his son Jesus carried out his commands. Jesus did. And when he said, let us make man in our image, as we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he meant that. And did you, did you not know that God knew that that would be a flaw in us when he said that? Do you know that there would be a fall in depravity? Okay, would take place in man. We will become deprived of the righteousness of God that Adam had the day that God created him. And so... This thing about Jesus, and I can see why it got Paul so upset. Because people's very lives are at stake here, and the reputation of God's Son is at stake here. Either Jesus died and saved you, or that's a lie. Which is it? The truth is, Jesus died and saved us. And now the, 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 the Galatian church were believing in lies. And that's why he's coming down on them so hard. And if you go back to chapter 1, you find out he said, even if an angel came down here with another gospel, let him be a curse. And the Greek word there is amethema. That means there's no hope for you. And when he talked about curse, it goes back to the old passage in Deuteronomy. As Moses is getting ready to close out his life there, and Moses said, curse is everyone that hangs on a tree. And what happened to Jesus? What's another word for the cross? Tree. tree because wood come from trees so Jesus God made Jesus a curse for you and I so that we wouldn't have to and the word cross even though it says curse they would, we wouldn't fall under the curse of God what is that the wrath of God for eternity and this brother I mean he's pouring his heart out here we see, his, we see all of his emotions here we see his love emotion because he deeply care about these people. We see his anger emotion because he's like a father. As you look at your son, I assume this is your son. And, and, and have you ever been so angry with your son? All your emotions showed at one time. You, you, you want to cry because he disappointed, he broke your heart, and then you want to be angry because he, he disobeyed you, and you want to whip his butt. And then at this other time, you, you want to cry because you want to have compassion. You know, you, want him, you don't want him to stay in that state of disobedience. You want him to fall under the righteous guidance in which God has given you to teach him. And so Paul is experiencing all these emotions at the same time. And he wants them to hear him from the heart. And what heart? The heart of the Spirit of God. Because he's actually using human terms to express the Spirit of God, what the Holy Spirit is feeling 
towards this church. And he wanted this church to walk in truth. That's why this letter, this part of the letter is so, so hard. And that's why any Bible teacher, any pastor, they've got to be willing to teach the Bible, teach the hard things of scriptures. Because what Jesus did on the cross cannot be taken lightly. No. It has to come at us hard. Okay? And when people begin to make light of it by talking about God's grace in such ways that it shouldn't be spoken of, it really, really voids out the suffering of Christ. It really does. And babies like this, young men like this, they need to know that Jesus felt real pain and experienced a real death on our behalf. And that's something that God didn't take lightly. Watching his son suffer like that. And the son didn't take it lightly either because he had to be the one to go through it. And so Paul, Paul, as he wrote, he said, I carry the marks of Jesus in my body. In other words, I feel the suffering. Okay, I identify with Jesus' suffering every day. All right, we'll get ready to close out. We normally go to about 7.30 because of the group of kids that's coming over. I don't know how long you want to stay tonight. But um, look in here. So he called them foolish. How are they going to start something and then stop it? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What moved God to perform miracles? Your faith. There was a man that came and asked Jesus to heal his child. And Jesus said, do you believe? And the man came back and said, what, Chrissy? Do you remember? He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He said, Lord, I believe you can do it, but I'm struggling. And sometimes when people who are that close to us, such as a child or spouse, when we see them suffer at that magnitude, it is hard for us to hold on to our faith. But we got to tell the Lord, Lord, help my unbelief. I had to do that with her when she was in her mom's womb, when they said they couldn't find a heartbeat. And I had to tell Jesus, walking in the hospital beside my wife, I said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the doctor, oh, there it is. And this, this man, if you ever seen a man of God that truly care about people, this is one. Because he doesn't want this church to suffer eternity by walking away from the living God because they're believing in a lie now. False doctrine. False doctrines are lies. It's only but one way to get to God, and that's through Christ. And Christ made that way by his death on the cross. That's the only way. And we must acknowledge that we had sinned against God. And God sent Jesus 
The B, what's the long word that starts with a P? Remember, Shelly? P-R-O-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. Propitiation. I know. And that simply means to, in a short way, to cover our sins. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it said, And he washed away our sins in his own blood. When you read in Romans chapter 3, it gives you another funny word called, you had to write it down for me, and I had you pronounce it. Expiate. E-X-P-I-A-T-E. You remember what it means? I'm challenging the fine college students here, by the way. I'm busting a mind. Is that too much to speak? Expiate means to satisfy someone's anger. Because we see in Isaiah chapter 53, it said, And it pleased God to do what to Jesus? To bruise him. That means to hurt him. Jesus had to satisfy God's anger against the human race for Adam and Eve sinning against him and ultimately the entire human race. That anger had to be satisfied, shall we? Another way to say it had to be appeased. Okay? So Paul got all this stuff in mind. Do you realize what's at stake here? So Mr. and Mrs. United States today, do you realize what's at stake today when you choose some other alternative to Christ? When you choose some other method to salvation, some other belief system, rather than what the Bible has been teaching, what God had holy men by the Holy Spirit write down. Jesus Christ gave command to men and gave gifts to men that they may go out and be as living witnesses on the earth to carry this gospel of the kingdom, as we talked about earlier, from nation to nation, from tribe to tribe, so that men, women, and boys and girls would not fall into condemnation, but that they would be saved by the blood of Jesus. And on the day of accountability, as we like to call it, or the day of the Lord, you won't have to stand in judgment. That is the great white throne judgment as a sinner. But you will stand in the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. That's a difference. So, the Galatian letter is pretty harsh. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. So, old man. By the way, who came out of idol worship? God brought Abraham. Did you know that, Malachi? He brought Abraham out of idol worship. Yes, sir. God delivered this old man from idol worship. Called him out at age 75. Come with me. Come from your father's house. And go to a land which I will show you. And he did. And Abraham had to leave those idols behind, didn't he? 
Because when he heard the voice of the one true God, he knew then who was calling him. No idol had ever called him, <laughs> and it never can. So Abraham believed everything God told him. Scripture says, not considering the deadness of his body or Sarah's womb. He believed God was going to get him, give him an heir. And God did. So this is the first witness of the new kingdom we see going forward through Abraham, Father Abraham, in which the Abrahamic covenant that God, we call that in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 3 there. And I will make you what? A nation. And all the families of the world will be blessed through you. And then we go on and see how. He talked about the seed of Abraham with Abraham. And the seed of Abraham is who? Jesus. And uh, it's an amazing thing that happened there. God healed an old man's body so it can produce. God heals an old woman's tomb. Tomb. Womb. Well, I don't know where that come from. And brought it alive. And even though both of them laughed, God said on the last visit before Isaac was born, is anything too hard for God? And by the way, how many of y'all know what the name, the name Isaac means? Yo, somebody knows. Somebody been studying. Laughter. So God said, huh? God got to laugh, laugh. <laughs> so I was just reading that this morning, by the way, that, you know, that God got to laugh, laugh. And uh, it does have a sense of humor. And, and it showed it. Old Sarah was over there cracking up. <laughs> can, can I have pleasure in an old age? <laughs> God said, wait a minute. <laughs> Why didn't you laugh? Well, I didn't laugh. God said, but you did laugh. Is there anything too hard for God? And so, um, Abraham, the first patriarch of the nation of Israel, he believed God. And even though he would lie, God still loved him. Isaac, not much said about it, would struggle. His son Jacob would struggle, not counting Esau, because God had already just determined Esau's fate. Why was that? You know, the scripture doesn't give us very much other than God knew that Esau was going to sell out his birthrights. And birthrights to God meant a lot. And so... God had already determined that the youngest would be first. He would lead. It was Jacob. God's determined the birthrights. And so we see that Esau was nothing but a, a hell raiser all his life. He couldn't take back what he had given away. Scripture said even though he tried to repent, he couldn't. You can't take it back. You cannot unfold time and redo it. Can't turn back the clock. We'll go a little bit more, five more minutes. So, Abraham did believe God and was counting unto him righteousness. 
Verse 8 may be kind of hard for them to see it, Matthew. Put verse 8 to the top. Easy, easy, easy. Verse 8. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. What does that mean? <laughs> See, they weren't brought up with the law. No. If you go back and you see the scriptures, what was it? What was given in the Abrahamic covenant? Righteousness. The thing in the Abraham covenant that was given in all the nations of the world or all the families is another way to say it. Will be what? Hey, will be blessed. They will be blessed. How? Through the seed. Okay, you got to go back and kind of put the puzzles together. You got all the, the, the pieces, but you got to put it together so you can see the picture. And that means every nation under the sun will be given the opportunity to be blessed by God. And how is that Jesus? And how does it Jesus? Jesus died for all the nations. That's why John 3.16 is so important to understand. For God so loved the... Uh, what's another word to put there? Nations. Okay? For God so loved the nations that he sent his only begotten son. And so that's the seed of the woman. Jesus is. And so how are the nations of the world blessed? By Jesus. Hanging on the cross and the giving of eternal life. In other words, himself, giving of himself. And uh, powerful. So, and the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And there it is, folks. In you all the nations shall be blessed. And Jesus commissioned the disciples. He said, go therefore into all the world. And do what? Make disciples. That's the blessing, brother. You got it, Chris? That's the blessing. That's the connection. It's so amazing when the Holy Ghost brings the pieces of the puzzle together and you see it. Go, there it is. Go, wow, look at that God. God, that was the intent of God all along. He's just using Israel as his masterpiece to bring the rest of us together. And he brought his son, Jesus, out of that masterpiece into the world so that that promise to Abraham could be fulfilled. So the gospel first went to Abraham, and we see it here. <clears throat> Abraham received the gospel in Genesis chapter 12. I'm not lying because the Paul, Apostle Paul just re restated. Okay? He affirmed it right there. The gospel. Did you see that? Where it says it? Look at it very carefully. It says right here, by faith, preach the gospel to who? To Abraham. Preach the gospel to Abraham. But wait a minute. Abraham lived nearly 2,000 years before the coming of the Messiah. And yet he received the gospel? Uh, typically, when we think of the gospel, we think of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so... You don't know I'm walking that way to pray because that's a prayer bell. Keep it going, Malachi. Keep talking about it. You ring the bell for prayer. It's a prayer bell. What's her name and I'll pray for? Stephanie. 
How are you? All right. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for Stephanie. We ask God that your spirit bring her into the fold of your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Okay. As we close this out. Some pretty stuff here. And it's so intricate with the Old Testament. It unfolds a lot of mysteries that are hidden in the Old Testament. Especially for us Gentiles that we didn't know all of the promises of God for the Gentile nations. We always like to look at Israel. But it's a lot of blessings in the Old Testament for Gentiles. A lot of promises of God. And God wants to do this for us. And God did do this for us. And the promise and the hope and the blessing is Jesus. Period. So curses everyone. So for as many... Oh, I didn't skip the verse. Let me go back. So then those who are, are of faith are blessed for believing Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay. There's 600. I've been told I didn't count them all. I was told there's 613 commands in the Old Testament. You think maybe you violated maybe one? <laughs> well, let's see here. I think we have trouble with the 10. You think you're going to really carry out the 613 <laughs> to the ladder of the law? I don't think so. So get ready to close in prayer. Remember the words of the Lord here through the mouth of the Apostle Paul is being directed by the Holy Spirit to this church. God gave us choices. That is the mind to make choices, shall I say. <coughs> but he laid down only one way to be in his kingdom. And that one way is the Son, Jesus. And he gave us one book to follow that way. It's the word of God. And it's one spirit that gives life. It's the spirit of Christ. In other way, then someone has bewitched you. It's not to believe in the truth anymore. Someone has come with another doctrine, another gospel. It is. And that person who brings it is now in a curse. It's not taking it easy on this church, and it shouldn't. And we shouldn't take it easy on each other when we deviate from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must always abide in this truth. No matter what philosophy says, no matter what religion says, 
God's word is truth. And Jesus said, knowing the one true God and he, Christ, whom God had sent, Jesus Christ, that is the eternal life. Closes in prayer. You came to work tonight, brother. Thank you, Father God, that your word is true. Our spirit, Father God, heal into our flesh. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that is true and all that is spoken, all that is of you that our hearts receive. Whatever is not of you, Father, is false. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for our ears. We thank you for our eyes to see. To see clearly and to see the truth. And what you speak in your heart. Father, we humble ourselves and we just come and worship you now, Father, as we can just serve us and say thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For your protection as we move on to go home. We thank you and seal our children from the loved ones. We thank you that we are going to come and be your blessing. And we thank you that you keep us. Yes, Lord. You continue to walk and lead us to walk after the Spirit, Father. We thank you and we the you lift us up above our sins and forgive us of our sins. We thank you that your blood cleanses us from our sins. We thank you that by the leading of your spirit, may we become sons of God. May we also speak your word, not just words, but also in the power of our children. Children, we thank you.